Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. We have chaos going on. We have people going around all in the background. I got my dogs next to me because I'm home alone right now, so I'm taking care of them so they don't bark. But we are here after a two-week hiatus with George Thomas, the terrific journalist from the Akron Beacon Journal, dabbles in sports, but then also... Uh, film and TV. And George, how are you doing? It's been a couple weeks since I've uh, seen you. How, how are you? Refreshed on the movie front. It's you, That's good. You see, you un- what I appreciate about you is you understand the business. You understand release cycles. And you know that the second week of the, the last two weeks of August, and usually Labor Day weekend, with the exception of this year, yeah. just trash release date. So. Yes. When I, it is the the January and the August release dates are just sometimes really. Although I will say, Candyman seemed to seem to do pretty well. A lot of people like that. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say genre. I'm going to say that's one of those exceptions to the rule because of COVID. Sure. I don't know how long that's been delayed, but nevertheless, when it comes to movies, I I will always take the last two weeks of August. <laughs> Labor Day weekend off and probably the first two to three weeks of January where I'm not dealing with entertainment and movies. Right. Because well, surprisingly, I mean, you know, like you just said, surprisingly, though, we have a uh, a very big and important Labor Day release. No, uh, you know, mid-level action movies to satisfy the need for a movie. This time we get a Marvel I don't know what phase we're in here in the cinematic universe anymore, but we get a new Marvel movie, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings. George, I read your review earlier today, and uh, I got excited as I read your review that seemed very excited about this film. Tell us a little bit about Shang-Chi. You know, let's be honest. First of all, it follows the the Marvel origin story formula. There's no doubt about it. They tell the story of how this character, who's the the son of a is a Chinese, basically Chinese mobster, powerful guy who controls the the, the Mandarin, who was supposed to. You know the comic books. I don't know, but the Mandarin is a prominent character in the comic books. Yes, Chung Shang Chi is his son, who's been trained to be this assassin. When he was a teenager, he ran away. From his father because he didn't believe in what he was what his father was teaching him. Stayed away. He's an adult now. And essentially, his father has tracked him down to get pat get back a piece of jewelry that his late mother 
Shang-Chi's late mother gave him. That piece of jewelry is the key to getting to his mother's mysterious homeland and more power. And that's it in a nutshell. But, sure. Um, well, and then, go ahead. Maybe talk a little bit about, uh, I, I believe I'm saying it correctly, Simu Liu is the star. And I, I kind of like this idea that, that Marvel, not I'm not going to say he's not an actor or anything like that, but they kind of plucked him from more TV roles and, you know, somewhat film obscurity uh was this a slam dunk for them because i know it was a long process in casting this part um you know what he's got charisma um and it's like he's got jackie chan slash bruce lee charisma and i hate to put him in that box but he's also got chadwick boseman charisma i think i think he can get to that level he doesn't have that regal air that chadwick boseman had you know what I mean? Right, right. But he he definitely definitely has an aura about him where you have no problem buying him in this role. And what I really liked about this, and let's face it, you, you part of the reason you see a movie like this is for the action sequence. You, you see right. any Marvel movie for, for the action, the fight scenes. Martial arts makes it that much more fun and it takes it to another level. And there's some there's some great martial arts choreography here where where you you drop your jaw upon viewing it. A right. scene in the bus, for instance, where he takes on seven, eight, nine guys is is memorable. And it's not just memorable for the action, but there's a Jackie Chan air about it in that. He's playful while doing it. For him, it's like no heavy lifting. It's just general fun. And he brings all of that out. Aquafina is his best friend. I don't know right. if she's going to be a romantic interest down the line. We'll see. Um, Michelle Yeoh, mm. and, um, which, which is a casting that makes sense simply because, first of all, she's a wonderful actress, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. She was the most memorable thing about that beautiful martial yeah. arts film. Love that film. Um, Tony, I don't know how to pronounce Tony Long's name. I hope that's it. I hope I'm not butcher, butchering it. Um, great villain. And they they generally have fun with the movie in that they're, it's, it's very reverential or referential to the, to the MCU. I mean, there's a great in-joke about the Mandarin in, in Iron Man, what was that, 3? Iron Man Iron 3. Iron Man 3, yeah. That's absolutely hilarious. And they understand, and, and I'll, I'll, without trying to give too much away, um, you know, there are two, there's a, a credit scene and a post-credit scene. And one okay. of those scenes, it's done in such a way where they're basically telling the characters and the act actors, giving them the same message about what they're getting into, that I think is positively brilliant. Right. I won't tell you who, the, who who shows up, but it, it's 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 a nice little touch. Overall, it's it's a B plus film. I it is what it is, but you have to view this next phase as everything. They've got a formula now. And they're just gonna. It's gonna be 
a gradual assembling of every element of the next Avengers film with the Eternals coming up next. Um, there's a new Spider-Man movie coming in December. And then we go back to Doctor Strange in February. So right. I'm looking forward to right. seeing what they're, they're going to do with it. I like what they did here, though, very much. And actually, if I I work up my courage, I'll be paying to go see it again this weekend at some point. Okay. Because you can only see it in theaters. Right. There's no plus pre premiere access on this. Which is, uh, you know, something I know you're probably happy about. And I'm sure, you know the studio had to make a decision on that. And especially with, with all the, the Delta variant spread we're seeing in COVID, it might've been enticing for them to put it on premier access. And they still might do that as we see more and more cases every day, especially here in Ohio. Um, you know, one of the things I like what Marvel has done in recent years, they went from, I mean, they, they I think they started off with some good direction with like John Favreau directing Iron Man uh, then, you know, you transition into like Joss Whedon, who did a, a solid job, I think, with the first Avengers. But then you kind of went, you know, with the 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 Russo brothers and then you kind of went with James Gunn on Guardians of the Galaxy. But they're starting to get different kind of filmmakers here. So, you know, Daniel uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton directs this movie. He's kind of been an indie star director. Um, you had Ryan Coogler, of course, direct Black Panther. He did a nice job with that. Um, Chloe Zhao is doing the Eternals, so they really kind of not only have they dipped their toes and now maybe head first dive into the deep end here on you know inclusion and getting different characters from different backgrounds, different races, but now they're starting to get talented directors who also fit that bill. What are your thoughts on, on this maybe uh, shift a little bit from? maybe going to the standard, this is how we want your, your action movies to look like, to let's get real good filmmakers in there and let them do what they do and we'll help them with the action if need be. The one commonality with every filmmaker you mentioned, even the, the A-list ones, is that they're all good filmmakers. That's right. the commonality. That's that's the key there. But my thoughts on, on seeing a... a Dustin Cretton here and 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 Ryan Co Ryan Coogler, and and you need those perspectives. Right. You and I work in a business, in our day jobs, where if we're being honest, diversity isn't great. Right. I am currently the only person, African American person in my newsroom. So. People think it's just a case of when they when they downplay that. People think it's just a case of absolute and total representation. It may be, but it's representation to get a different perspective, as opposed to representation to get a skin color, because African American culture is different. Asian American culture is different. And you need those voices who can, for lack of a better term, help you to avoid stupid and sensitive mistakes. Right. And and 
that's needed, but it just, there's nothing wrong with being inclusive. Right. It should be the goal. It should be the, the rule, not the exception. And, and, and let's, let's face it, Kugler can, can write his, his, his own future now. Right. Not just because of Black Panther. I mean, Creed. Was, yeah. yeah, Creed, and, but he can write a blank check, check in Hollywood now. That's why you saw um, Judah and the Black, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah earlier this year. He was the EP on it. Right. And, and, and the director of that film was very blunt with me when he said the reason that movie got made and so did, so, so did the star of the film. They said it got made because of Ryan Coogler. Right. So the power ultimately in Hollywood isn't in front of the camera. The power is behind the camera and in right. the studios and in, in the office suites. That's why you see Michael Michael B. Jordan concentrating on producing as right. well as acting. Right. Well, I think that, you know, we, we've talked about the, the fatigue, I guess, with Marvel or sequels and things like that. But you know, these studio movies, and we've talked about this before, these studio movies help these directors go from trying to scrape together as much money as they can to make their passion projects to wanting to make their passion projects and having that be a reality because they've made the studio film, they've made the money. I mean, Alfonso Caron did that with a Harry Potter series. He did a Harry Potter movie so he could make Children of Men, um, you know. It just, you know, to a lesser degree, I don't know if you've seen the recent uh, reports, but Francis Ford Coppola is willing to put up his own money to make his, uh, yeah, make his passion project, which seems a little odd that he'd have to do that. But, you know, he's getting a little older and maybe people just don't really think it's a project worth sinking a lot of money into. But, you know, some of these, it doesn't even matter. It seems like it doesn't matter if you're Coppola or if you're Kugler or if you're, you know, Cretton. You know, you, you've got to play ball at times. And, you know, this is his chance of playing ball while making a good movie, while making a movie that matters to him and to, to people that he associates with or people that, you know, have not seen them on screen. Because, you know, we're talking about a cast of primarily Asian actors that are in this film. And, and that's something that could we have ever imagined that with Marvel and over the last 10, 12 years where we saw Iron Man kick off the franchise and then we wait how many years until we see Black Panther and then Black Widow and then now Shang-Chi. So it just seems like, you know, this is a, a great time that Marvel's finally, you know, getting into where they need to go. It just took them a little too long to maybe get there for some people's liking. I I think they had to establish the brand before yeah. they could, could sure. really dig deep into, into their canon. That's what I think it is. That's true. Yeah. And, 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 and is that right no, it's not. But when you're talking budgets of a hundred million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, I understand the flawed thinking. That's the best way I can be. I can put that. It's yeah. I understand what you're saying. There. In some respects, it's it's as if they 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 don't believe minorities will spend money, and that's right. not the case. Well, and, you know, obviously there was a lot of, in you know, unknown maybe going into Black Panther, and it did so well, both critically, audiences liked it, the box office was huge. This is probably going to be judged with a little bit of an asterisk, because with Shang-Chi, you've got the COVID, you know, variant out there. 
people aren't going to the theater as much as they used to. So it's probably not something we should expect a billion dollar return. But I think this is something that Marvel has said, you know, whatever it does, it's going to do. And we're going to continue following it through. It seems like anyway. Ah, but is it opening in China? That's the other thing I wanted to think about, too, was, you know, China was was concerned. And you've seen the movie, so you can speak to this that maybe there would be a lot of stereotypes in there of Asian characters, things like that. Yeah. Now, the now Kevin Feige said, no, that's not, you know, we made sure that that was going to not be the case because China has been a huge box office for Marvel. It's a big box office get for a lot of, you know, action blockbusters. And not being able to see that in China might really hurt the box office. So you kind of wonder if Marvel is going to sour on this franchise if, the, if China says no, no matter what. I have to, I haven't seen any news reports as to whether they have, but right. there weren't any tropes that I recognize. That's that's a safe way to put that. Right. Okay. Um, so we shall see. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, I mean, this maybe will spawn a franchise at the very least. Uh, they'll be in the new uh, cinematic universe with all the new stuff kind of coming around and. We'll be fighting some, you know, probably Galactus here in the uh, the next phase of uh, of Avenger movies. Well, here, here, I'm going to spoil this. They've already stated the Ten Rings will be back. It's at the end of the credits. Okay, all right. So they, he's it's getting a second movie, and it it it, it, it deserves one based on the quality of this one, but yeah. also because I want to see this character how this character is developed. Right. You know, T'Challa and Black Panther was a, let's call him mature. Right. Shang-Chi or Sean, as he's known it to, to start the film, he's still very much into being that that quasi-partying quasi type of guy. Right. So I want to see how the character develops over the course of time. And, you know, if you, if, if you look at what, what Marvel has done, in a way, that's Tony Stark in a different, in sure. a different way. The way yeah. Tony... If I had told you an Iron Man, Tony Stark was going to sacrifice his life for the greater good, what would you have said? Right. No way. So there that we wasn't go. his personality, yeah. And I think that's why I like, I know a lot of people kind of dump on the Tony Stark character, but of all the characters that we've met over the course of this Marvel cinematic run, he's got the most depth to him and the most three dimension to him of anybody because of that, where we knew him and what we knew him as versus where we ended up seeing him. Well, see, I'm going to agree and disagree. It okay. was, him and, it was him and Cap. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Because yep. let's face it, Captain America to start out was rah 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 America America. Right, right. By, by the time he got to the end, he was very disillusioned. Yes, about that's the true. Moves being made in this country. Yeah. So now that was a nice character arc. For very me. good arc. Yes. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. He started off as, "What's my mission? I'm going to do it." To Again, you know, to the point where he made a complete 180 and decided that he wanted to sort of live the normal life with with Peggy. So, yeah, good point out there. Uh, so 
I mean, a B-plus from George on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So excited to see that. Eternals coming out here in a few months. So uh, just when we thought we hadn't seen any Marvel in a couple of years, which we hadn't, we now have movies out with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and, of course, Eternals coming out. And like you said, Spider-Man, you've got uh, Doctor Strange. So it's uh, Marvel took a little bit of a break because of COVID and things, but they're uh, revving it back up. Just for the record, for those looking to hold out, um, it's got a 45-day release window. So it's going to be out of theaters within 45 days, which is okay. you know, to ex- affect its box office. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I hope, and I don't think that, I don't think Disney's going to hold that against them, given that if the Chinese release doesn't happen, and then, of course, this 45-day window. I think this is one of those movies, though, that people like Black Panther did, sort of reinvigorated the franchise because at first we were just like, okay, well, here's Captain America, here's Iron Man, here's Thor, here's Hulk, and we just keep seeing them, Black Widow, we keep seeing them over and over again, so we get Black Panther, you know, and that story was unique and interesting, and it, it told a, a deeper story about culture and meaning. This is another one of those types of refreshers maybe that Marvel was looking for, and, you know, Hopefully it'll hit a home run, whether it's in theaters or on streaming, and, and Disney will say, "Let's give them all the money in the world they need to make sequels and you know get this franchise you know into the forefront of Marvel moving forward." FYI, you were right; it doesn't have a Chinese release date yet. So okay, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Well, that's a tough sell. Even even if the producer says one thing, it, it you know the Chinese government will you know they don't have to care about what Kevin Feige says about whether it has those, you know, those classic unfortunate tropes in there as well. So um, hopefully it, it does get a release because, you know, this is one of those movies that I think everybody is kind of interested in seeing and, and um, I'm interested in seeing it. So I can't wait to, to check it out. So, well, you know, we, we talked in the past about this, uh, these last few weeks being the dead, the dead period of film. Obviously, Shang-Chi kind of uh, changes that with the, the Labor Day release. Normally you don't get a huge blockbuster but we are into the film festival season. We're getting closer to fall, George, which means Oscar season is upon us. Maybe there's a few stragglers from the summer or, you know, from the, the early release schedule. But a lot of excitement. This is an exciting time for me, especially because I love, you know, figuring out what, what to see here in the fall. What are the Oscar contenders? Um, what, are, what are your thoughts here on this? As we, you know, we're in COVID, so we have festivals getting ready. I know Telluride's getting ready to open up. Toronto should be opening up soon, although with COVID, who knows? What are your thoughts here on the festival system? Have you ever covered the festival system when you were the full-time critic? And what are your thoughts uh, maybe back when you were covering it versus now? I, I got to Toronto once. Okay. In 1997. What year did uh, Pre come out? What what movie? Pre. Pre Fontaine. There were two Pre Fontaine movies that year. Wow. I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm trying to think. Isn't that funny when you get those double releases? It's kind of like, it reminds me of when uh, The Illusionist and The Prestige came out the same year. Wow. When you two magic movies, it seemed kind of odd. Hey, I'm good. Ninety-seven. Okay. That was the last time I was in Toronto. What my, my okay. well, Toronto was cool. <laughs> if you That's one of my ever, bucket lists. If you could ever get to a film festival and you're truly a film geek, you're yeah. in Nirvana because I was right. there. Um, 
I wasn't there the entire festival. It was a weekend. It was a weekend of a lot of studio releases. So they wanted critics up there. Right. And it was the days between interviews. It was just going theater to theater to theater to watch movies. Right. To get to your next theater. So it was. I highly recommend it, especially for someone like you. Right. (laughs) Highly. It's a, it's so close, but yeah, I've never had a chance to go. But that's one film festival. That's the one film festival that I would go to. Um, I would probably plan a vacation around it. My wife probably wouldn't love it so much, but uh, I've always been enamored with Toronto, primarily because it is that you know this is the studios really getting their Oscar contenders out because it's the fall season. Most of those movies are going to be releasing within the coming weeks of the Toronto International Film Festival. And it can be a very big launching pad for films. I mean, this is the kind of film festival where if you get that good response and you have that buzz from Toronto, when you're even if your movie doesn't release until the end of the year and you have a two two month break, you know, you still have that buzz from Toronto and it can really, you know, catapult you into Oscar status really quickly. I'm trying to figure out the the last bona fide Oscar contender. That because I'll be honest with you, in recent years I hadn't paid attention to what's come out of Toronto that went on to 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 award success. Um, right. Beginning of football season, it's all football. Right. <laughs> so, I, I and, and EW has changed. Entertainment Weekly has changed to where. It wasn't weekly anymore, so. Right, right. Um, well, I, I, I don't want to speak incorrectly, but I, if I'm not mistaken, did Nomadland last year premiere at Toronto and then, of course, rode the wave through to the Oscar season? I, I want to say that it did, but maybe it was, um, you know, I know it started off at maybe some of the smaller circuits, but I, and it might have even gone to Cannes in advance of its fall release, but I want to say that it might've, you know, got that great response at Toronto. Well, sort it's, of it, it's distinctly depo- possible. Um, you know what? Um, I will tell you one film I'm looking forward to will be playing right. in Toronto and London. And I think the New York uh, film festival and it's got Francis McDormand written all over it. Um, oh, is that the uh, Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel, Macbeth. Denzel? Yeah, Denzel Washington. Yeah. So, and that's a uh, Joel Cohen, isn't it? Yeah, Joel Cohen directing. Yeah. yeah. Which is she? We're only getting half the Cohens now. She's married. Yeah, yeah. Is so it, we're only it, getting it, half Cohen this time. I don't around. know. You know. So it's a little. It's a little strange, probably, to not see. A film by the Cohen brothers, I guess. But yeah, that's uh, that that is true. But um, yeah, looking at some of you know some of the award winners from TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival. Um, I remember. I mean, I didn't obviously I didn't see it at Toronto, but Silver Linings Playbook was one of those movies that scored big at Toronto. I love that movie. Um, sometimes you're a David O. Russell fan. Sometimes you're not. I guess. But, <laughs> okay, you know, when are you a David O. Russell fan? 
the, the thing about David O. Russell that I, I like about him and admire as a, as a writing from the writing perspective is he's so blunt. Like his characters seem more real. Like watching Silver Linings playbook and like Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper's characters kind of going at each other and like cutting each other down to size. Like that's how real people talk sometimes. And sometimes in movies you feel like it's so regimented like it's got to be hollywood you know and this this kind of feels anti-hollywood from david o russell that's what i liked so much about that movie was just the the dialogue between these people that just felt so real even if it's a movie and it's not real fair enough um yeah um see this is where i'm getting old because like i said i don't remember i was at toronto i don't remember what what came out of Toronto. Um, you know, even when I was covering it full time, I could never get up there with the Beacon Journal um, for some reason. Right. I don't remember why. Yeah, Have you ever, uh, has there ever been an experience, you know, we've seen film festivals where things go good and then things go bad. Have you ever seen one way or another where you were like in the screening room that you can recall that either absolutely flopped or was actually just like this is going to be the oscar contender i you know what i have i don't know how i forgot this i was in the audience um at the new york film festival one year the night sling blade oh screen. okay and i remember the standing ovation that billy bob thornton got right right so, two film festivals. I told you I'm getting old. Two film festivals. <laughs> do you think? Do you think when you go? I mean, obviously you've gone to other film festivals. Do you think people become like? Not that Billy Bob Thornton's work in Sling Blade was bad or anything, but do you think people become like prisoners of the moment and they feel like, okay, if someone's going to be there, whether it's Billy Bob Thornton or a director or another actor or a writer or everybody in between, that you feel compelled to at least give them some sort of a standing ovation? I think that happens with anything of of, yeah. of of substance. I mean, there 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 have been Broadway plays that I I was okay on, right. like a perfect example, um, Wicked. Okay, I wasn't particularly a fan, but at, at Playhouse Square, it got a standing ovation, and so it's like, all right, I'm not going to be rude and sit. So here we go. <laughs> Well, that might lead into another question. Okay. Now, I have seen, we've, we've both seen movies with crowds. Um, I've only seen a few movies with actual people there to, like, talk about it afterwards, whatever. Where are you at with the applauding for movies after watching it when there's no one from that movie representing it there? I'm fine have with you ever for a movie that you saw... Just in the theater, just yourself, whatever, and you say, bravo, great movie. I have clapped at moments. Okay. There, there just have been some, and I can't think of any right off the top of my head. There have been yeah. some times I've been watching a movie, and the moment is just so absolutely brilliant, true to character right. or whatever, that, yeah, I've okay. clapped. Um, one of, yeah. One of my pet peeves is clapping after movies when there's no... No one there to uh, be acknowledged by the clap because you're clapping for this person or these people that made this film. 
that are not even there to acknowledge the fact that you're giving them an ovation. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy a movie or you can't love it or whatever, or maybe like you said, you know, clap at certain moments because it's that great or whatever. But I've never understood people. I've had people like get up and clap for a movie that they just saw in the normal, you know, everyday screening. No one's there to talk about the movie or acknowledge that you've clapped for them. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I can understand being at the film festival circuit and clapping for really Bob Thornton being there or, you know, we talked about Stillwater a few months ago that got a standing ovation as well at Cannes. I just can't understand it, though, in a normal, everyday setting. I never, ever try to to limit somebody else's way of expression. So I get what you're saying, because sure. there are times I've felt that way. Right. But by the same token... I've been guilty of clapping in the moment. So, I mean, if, if, if there is a okay. rip-roaring good comedy, and it's not just one of these dumb comedies, what? but we're talking brilliant dialogue, and it cracks me up, I'll, you know, I'll acknowledge that fact with more than laughter. So it's just right. a good... Yeah. Well, you know, I was going through some of the uh, recent highlights of, of the Toronto International Film Festival. One movie that sort of rode the wave, I think, to Oscar season that may or may not be that great was Jojo Rabbit in 2019. It got a really quality response out of Toronto, and it ended up getting all these Oscar nominations. Um, and that was probably one of those movies that was able to ride the, the popularity of Toronto to, to maybe get themselves positioned for an Oscar that, that next year. See, I, I love Jojo Rabbit because it was positively okay. subversive. Um, a lot of people would <laughs> feel the same way <laughs> simply because of the subject matter, but I get what Taika Waititi was trying to do. So Sure, yeah. I, I, I had an appreciation for that film. Okay. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm just saying that it was one of those movies, at the very least, that did ride a nice wave of Toronto success into that. I think it had one of those, um, you know, Thanksgiving week releases that year. And then, of course, you know, Scarlett Johansson, you know, got Best Picture nomination. So definitely uh, cleaned up a little bit at the Oscars after a nice run in Toronto. Um, but is there any movies this year, you know, as we head into the Oscar season that you're just excited for, that you're geeked up about? Um. I mentioned the tragedy of Macbeth. Right. That, that's the big one. Right, right. I mean, Francis McDormand and, and Denzel Washington. Um, oddly enough, King Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, the and, and, story of Venus and Serena Williams, yeah, and their dad. Um, being the Ricardos. Okay. Which is... About uh, Lucille Ball and 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 Desi Arnaz Senior, right, right. Um, Halle Berry's directorial debut in a movie called Bruised. Yeah. Um, Dune is a no-brainer, but yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the Academy. I'm, I'm trying to think. Have they ever recognized a science fiction film outside it's of two thousand one? Um, you know what the, the 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 big conundrum for me is, and what? I'm torn about 
about West Side Story. Right, right. Because I'm this huge Spielberg fan. Um, I'm of that generation. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm of that generation that saw Jaws in the theater. That that Lucas Spielberg, who right. made this blockbuster BS possible, because we had nothing better to do in the '70s other than go to movie theaters multiple times to see the same same film. Right now, I'm of that generation. I, I my standard reply to to Stranger Things when people ask me and talk to you about how great it is is I tell people I'm sorry I saw the original Spielberg. And, right. and, and that's how I feel the because I'm not seeing anything new there. And I, I, I gave Stranger Things, not to get too far off track, I gave it five or six episodes and I'm like, I'm out. I mean, I, right. I, but, but West Side Story, I'm kind of disappointed to know that it looks to be still set in that 1950s early yeah. 60s in, in environment as opposed to trying to to update it yeah. bring it into the here and now i realize there's less tension there but there are a lot of a lot of other ways to go with it other than than the the not just the gang thing but the the puerto rican caucasian thing right, there, right. there are other ways to go with it in this day and age, and he decided to do basically a remake of a classic film. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I remember uh, over the past few years Spielberg uh, getting on the soapbox about you know the lack of creativity and sequels, comic book movies, and superheroes. And then what does he do? He makes a remake of West Side Story that may or may not be a shot-for-shot shot remake, essentially. So I'm kind of I'm in the same boat as you. Is I'm interested to see what he does with it, but I also kind of feel like it's going to be after a year where we saw In the Heights. I think it's going to be like the Walmart version of Great Value in the Heights. Even though it's Spielberg, and I love Spielberg, and I think he can turn. I think Spielberg can make a great movie out of anything. I just don't know if this is going to be as energetic and as original and passionate as In the Heights was. So that's why I'm saying that even if Spielberg does a great job, it still might feel like an, a great value version. And, and the big question is, I, as much as I love the music from West Side Story, are younger audiences, not, they were the, not that they're the be-all, get-all, are they going to enjoy what have basically become standards through the what is it, sixty? Yeah, it's six. Yeah, it's sixty years now, roughly. Right. Um, as opposed to something like what Lin Manuel Miranda represents. I mean, let's face it. One of the best things about In the Heights was the music. Period. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. That, that's where that film derived ninety percent of its energy. So. I, yeah. I just that's a that's I mean a I, I and it looked beautiful. It was a beautiful looking film. I don't deny that Steven Spielberg will probably not make a beautiful film with uh, West Side Story. Um, I don't know if he's going to use his longtime director of photography, Janus Kaminsky. He, which is a great, he's a great photographer of film. He's, I mean, he's not Roger Dinkins, but he's like one of my favorite uh, photographers in film as well. But uh, 
you know, Spielberg, I just, I kind of want Spielberg to get back to the gritty stuff like Munich, which I absolutely love Munich and Minority Report, where there's a little bit of creativity, even though it's based off of a Philip K. Dick short story, but just stuff like that. I don't know. West Side Story just seems, I'm not going to say it's beneath him because it is a classic, but I almost feel like that's the kind of movie that if he wants to executive produce and then let some you know, up and coming director, take the reins, go for it and let Spielberg make something different other than, you know, Indiana Jones five or whatever we've got coming on here. And, you know, all these, other, you know, Jurassic world and all that stuff where he's producing and things like that. I'd like to see Spielberg, especially now as he's probably winding his career down, or at least it's on the back nine. I want him to make movies he wants to make like Munich or Lincoln or things like that, where, he has a chance to really sink his teeth into some really deep issues. And yeah, as, and I, I absolutely agree. And as much as I, I, I liked Ready Player One as a popcorn flick, as a yeah. lack of a better term, it was it was a Spielberg throwback. Yeah, I appreciated it on that level. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I yeah. mean, I like Ready Player One. Yeah, Munich is such an underrated film. It's not even. Funny, it's yeah. under underappreciated, and it's like, what else? Lincoln, even though it, it it received recognition from the Academy, there's another film yeah. that begs to be revisited. Right, you know, everybody has their Spielberg favorites. My two favorite Spielberg movies are Munich and Minority Report. Those are I th I think his two best films. I know Jaws is amazing, and I'm not discrediting Jaws, but just something just struck with Munich emotionally. You could tell it was a personal film. Minority Report was this high wire act of action while you still had this unique storytelling. You know, those are my two favorite Spielberg movies and he's made great film after great film, but those are the two movies. Like if someone says, what's your favorite Spielberg movies? I don't hesitate at all. Those are the two, even though Jaws and, you know, every, every, I mean, he's had such a, a, an illustrious career you could pick Everybody could have different, you know, preferences, and they probably would. But I mean, those are two films that I think he really was at the height of his mastery as a craft, as a as a filmmaker. And and like you said, Munich is just criminally underrated. I mean, did not get enough love when it came out because it actually came out the same year as War of the Worlds. So it was one of those movies, you know, one of those years where he got his blockbuster, but then he also got his, you know, give me some money to make Munich and whatever I want to do with it. But it kind of got overshadowed a little bit because War of the Worlds was the big Spielberg blockbuster with Tom Cruise. And then you had this really understated movie with Eric Bana, the lesser known Daniel Craig at the time. And it was just perfect. Let's see. Uh, my favorite Spielberg movies uh, CE3K. Okay. Because um, for the time, that was just, it was just weird. That was just a weird film for the seventies. It really yeah. was, um, and probably Schindler. Oh yeah, yeah. I, how could I forget Schindler's List? Another great. I mean, that would probably be in that next category for me. But yeah, that's another one of those. I guess it was the Munich before Munich. I guess for him, a really personal film. But good, good, good bring up on that one. I wasn't even thinking about Schindler's List. We actually watched it in high school, which was a surprise. We watched that in high school at the time. And, um, Thanks. 
Thanks a lot. Well, for I, wasn't in, I wasn't in high school, though, George. I was not in high school when Schindler's List came out. I just watched it when I was in high school a, a few years later, let's put it that way. Um, so I don't want to yeah. date myself Thanks, either. I'm not, I'm not too young. I don't want to date myself. I mean, I, I wasn't 10 years old quite when uh, uh, Jurassic Park came out. So, But as a kid that grew up loving dinosaurs and getting to see them on the big screen like that, Jurassic Park was kind of a thrilling adventure, too. Jurassic Park held the quintessential Steven Spielberg film quality. Yeah. If you're scanning your television and it's on, you're going to watch it. You're going to stop for some amount of time. You may not watch it all the way through. But you're gonna watch it for some amount of time. So yeah. oh yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. You know, some of the movies that I'm interested in seeing this year, I mean, I, I've got sort of an eclectic taste. I mean, Dune obviously, you know, goes without saying. I think we both can agree that there's a lot of excitement for Dune. Hopefully it lives up to the expectations. Um, for whatever reason though, like I'm I'm very intrigued by the French dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. And th- and this is coming from someone that has only liked one Wes Anderson movie, and that was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Other than that, I really am not into the Wes Anderson stuff. But for whatever reason, it, it seems like it could be like a, a nice, uh, you know, homage to journalism and, and maybe, you know, sharing the love and the in uh, the necessary need for journalism. I'm interested in the Wes Anderson stuff, uh, at least this time around. But other than that, only the Grand Budapest Hotel was uh any kind of Wes Anderson that I can really get into. The Fantastic Mr. Fox was solid. Isle of Dogs was okay. But generally speaking, I'm not like a Rushmore fan. I'm not, I don't really get into some of his other quirky, needless to say, probably not even the right word for Wes Anderson. Quirky isn't quirky enough for him. But um, The French Dispatch, I'm very intrigued by. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's been one of those movies that was delayed and now it's coming out, hopefully. But uh, any thought, any any urge to see the French Dispatch? Are you a Wes Anderson fan? I am not a Wes Anderson fan. I'm one of the, those okay. people who, who have never gotten the the, the appeal. Okay, that no, I understand yeah. that. Now, looking at the cast, I'll go watch it and probably be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but then it'll probably get like twelve Oscar nominations, right? It you know, probably will. That's the way Wes Anderson works these days is, you know, he writes a movie, he gets a screenplay nomination at least, and probably sneaks in with an, you know, an actor maybe or an actress getting a nomination. So, um, but like, like I said, you know, I love, I thought the Grand Budapest Hotel was hilarious. Ray Fiennes was hilarious in that movie. Um, but other than that, I'm not a huge Wes Anderson fan. So it's not like I'm beating down the door to see it. He, he's only had one movie I enjoyed watching in any sense of those those words. That was the Life Aquatic with Steve Zuzu. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not really care for that. Right. That was the only one. Okay. Uh, And it was probably more due to Bill Murray than anything else. Right. Well, Bill Murray is always great. And thankfully, he does show up in Wes Anderson movies, too. So that's good, too. But uh, a couple of movies, this is going to be a, a same director. He might have a double, a nice double year for himself. Uh, Ridley Scott's got two possible contenders for awards with House of Gucci and The Last Duel. The Last Duel bringing back Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck to work together here for the first time since, I'm pretty sure, Goodwill Hunting. So it's I'm kind of intrigued by that, although that might be, you know, hopefully it's not 
bad Ridley Scott, and hopefully it's great with Ridley Scott. But I kind of, I'm kind of intrigued by House of Gucci, though. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. What, what's the difference between good Ridley Scott and bad Ridley Scott? Well, I mean, it, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying bad Ridley, bad Ridley Scott is still good. Ridley Scott, but like all the Money in the World movie wasn't all that great. Everybody was like, I think I think people were fawning over it because they replaced Kevin Spacey and they you know they got Christopher Plummer in there and you know everybody was like, oh this is going to be an Oscar winner because they they changed this or whatever. It really wasn't that great. It was an okay movie, but it was not like Ridley Scott's best work. And and Ridley Scott, you know, I loved Prometheus recently. I think Alien Covenant was pretty solid as well. Um, so I have I have high expectations for Ridley Scott. So I should say, even bad Ridley Scott is still a good movie. Fair enough. Generally, generally speaking, <laughs> I mean, no filmmaker is uh, beyond making a bad movie though, or a movie that's not so good either. But uh, I was a huge. I was. Pro I feel like I'm the only person that loved Prometheus. I don't know why, but it seemed no, like I, everybody I, else. No, I like Prometheus a lot. Yeah. It seemed like everybody else just kind of takes a dump on it all the time and does not like it. I'm like, why? Why don't you like that? That's like really good. Because it wasn't, it wasn't an alien. That's why. You right. know why. Yeah. It wasn't an <laughs> alien movie. You know why. It was kind of an alien movie at the, yeah, the very, but, very yeah, end. You know why. <laughs> you know so Michael, Fassbender, Michael Fassbender was fantastic in that yes, movie. Yes, he was. You know, I just I feel like people unfairly dump on that movie because maybe they wanted it to be more alien like rather than sort of an origin story. And it's like, man, that was a really creepy, interesting, dangerous science yes, fiction it fantasy movie. It was really interesting. I mean, I don't know. Some but that's that's why I think people, you know, they like Ridley Scott and then they they don't like something like that. But you know, Ridley Scott is just one of these directors. He's got such an eclectic filmography though i mean i really enjoyed the martian I did not like gladiator that's one movie that i would say is bad ridley scott so i say when i say bad ridley scott gladiator is his worst film in my opinion i just however how that got into and we'll, we can probably get into this at, at another time oscar winners or oscar contenders that did not deserve it i think gladiator is the top of the mountain for me on that category because gladiator is just a two and a half hours of just down in the dumps, like makes you just want to not like life anymore. It was just so depressing and not really uplifting at all. There was no real hook to that, you know, like there was no real like catharsis in it. It just, it just seemed like it was like a, you just wanted to cry, but in a bad way. Um, we'll, we'll discuss it another time because I wholeheartedly just. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know what? That's, that's fine. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's fine. I mean, I will say that you gotta you have to remember who the flavor of the moment acting wise was back then, and I'm certainly that played a role in it, which well, was uh, Russell Crowe. Well, well, you know Russell Crowe's done some good things, and he's he's not some like you know down and dreary actor all the time. I mean, you know, you give him the material and say, hey, you've got to be sad for two and a half hours, or no one's going to care about it. Well, you know, he gets his revenge at the end of the movie, which is great. And you're kind of rooting for that in a way. But then it's just like, 
eh, I don't know. I just felt like empty from it, you know, and that's that's not what I normally feel from Ridley Scott. But, you know, obviously he's a, a busy filmmaker, um, you know, whether it's a, I mean, American Gangster was a real underrated gem from him, too, I thought. I mean, you didn't that's like American what, Gangster? Oh, yeah, th that's one that caught me two weeks ago, and I couldn't okay. turn it off. Yeah. And, and, and the funny part is, Denzel Washington's character and Russell Crowe's character don't really meet until the last... Right, right. They don't really have anything going until the last half hour or so. Yeah, and then it's yeah. Like, you're watching these two two heavyweights yeah. throw shot after shot, and it's like, right. well, like, and, that, and that 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 validates my point about Gladiator and you saying the flavor of the month being Russell Crowe. Yeah, he he could play that character. He was a, a you know he had some personality in American Gangster, you know, playing sort of a down on his luck detective. Um, that was a wonderful film. I mean, that was an actor showcase, and they both knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And, you know, Ridley Scott, like you said, they don't really meet up until about a you know a half hour before the end of the film, and he just ramps up that tension like they're it's it's a cat and mouse game between both of them, and Russell Crowe's character is trying to hone in on this this up and coming drug lord, and then they finally get together, and like you said, it's just heavyweight punches after heavyweight punches, very underrated Ridley Scott. So that's why I think for me, I'm I'm really excited about House of Gucci and in the last duel just to see if Scott still has it. I mean, I, I, I like the Martian a lot, you know, a completely different science fiction film from Prometheus and the alien franchise. So, you know, it's, it's an, it's a nice season here to, to see, you know, a guy like Ridley Scott get back into it with a couple of different options, but another movie that I'm really interested in, and I don't think it's going to be an Oscar contender, but you just never know is nightmare alley uh, with Guillermo del Toro. So his follow-up to shape of water very interested to see. Now, I don't think Shape Water was his best work. I think it was the Martin Scorsese effect where we want to give a great filmmaker an award, so here you go. Now, granted, he doesn't have the career that Scorsese does, who had, you know, 40 years of great movies, but, you know, no one no one could tell you that Scorsese should have won for The Departed when he could have won for Goodfellas or insert any other movie pretty much that he's ever been nominated for. I think Del, Del Toro, if he ever should have won, should have won for Pan's Labyrinth, his absolute masterpiece of a, of a movie over The Shape of Water, which I did like, but it wasn't quite as good as Pan's Labyrinth or some of his other stuff. So Nightmare Alley could be in that same vein where it's maybe not as good, or maybe it could be great. Who knows? It's it's Guillermo Del Toro. He's a great filmmaker. He's, he's always been hit, hit and miss. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and scared about. I, I interviewed him once, and I'm, what was the film about? It was early in his career. It was, um, it was a film about moths, a horror film about moths. And he, he did it for Miramax. He was still relatively unknown. Great interview. Right. Um, you know. <laughs> well, I liked what he did with Help Boy. I mean, you know, he had a couple of solid movies there into a, a, a franchise that get, at the time I really Hellboy didn't get the the, the attention it deserved, especially yeah. that first because um, Ron Perlman was absolutely perfectly cast in that role. Perfect casting, yeah. That that is an example of perfect casting. And I felt so bad when both of those guys wanted to get back involved with the reboot of Hellboy, and then the studios like no and the david harbour movie just absolutely bombed and no one liked it so 
Um, I guess they, in some ways, the studio got there just dessert. Uh, I mean, you're you're absolutely right though about Del Toro. He's kind of a hit and miss kind of director though, and you know he takes chances, which which kind of positions him in the opportunity to be an Oscar contender. But then by taking those chances, he also will be maybe completely forgotten come Oscar season. So Nightmare Alley is, is one of those movies that I'm kind of interested to see if Del Toro can keep this sort of streak alive. Now, now the thing, what's what's hilarious here, and, 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 and I'm looking at the cast. You know, I looked the movie up. Yeah. This yeah. is awfully conventional for him. <laughs> Based on the synopsis, it's very right. so. I'm 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 definitely interested in seeing it, and it's like, well, yeah. Brad, also Bradley Cooper decides he wants to act. Well, you know, I think with with Del Toro, I think I think the studio probably is saying, oh, we'll make it a conventional, you know, synopsis, and then when it comes out, it'll be a complete mind blow, and, and everybody will be like, okay, we've got. You know, fish people, like in, of course, The Shape of Water. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, you know, interspeciality uh, sex between a, a fish man and a, and a woman, you know. So Del Toro knows how to push the boundaries a little bit. Uh, sometimes it's in strange taste and sometimes it's, you know, fun, like in Pan's Labyrinth, where he meshes reality and uh, sort of the fantasy world as well. So that's why I'm interested in anything Del Toro does, because I know what I know about Pan's Labyrinth and I love that movie. It's one of my it's it was my favorite movie of the 2000 to 2010s. Uh, so from 2000 to 2009, all those releases, that was my favorite film of that release period. Munich was also in that list as well. But uh, I don't know. I'm kind of nervous, though, because Del Toro, like you said, he can be over the map. So let's see what happens. But uh, those are some of the movies that I'm interested in. I'm sure everybody has their preferences. Uh, any other uh, final movies or final thoughts of anything that you're interested in seeing this fall? No, um, I'm going to take it as they come. You know, I've got studios begging me for for fall movie previews that I, I really, you know. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm one, movie, yeah, one movie before we wrap up that I should have remembered and to put on my list was uh, the new untitled as of yet, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. P.T. Anderson. Love Gularity. Love some P.T. Anderson. I, I, I don't care what he makes, you know, he could make a, a movie about the menu at McDonald's and he'd probably make it interesting. So I'm, I'm very excited about P.T. Anderson getting back into it. He's one of those filmmakers that not enough people know about, because he doesn't he doesn't work the studio game so much but when he comes out with a movie for film nerds i think it's like christmas day well i i interviewed him once on the phone and loved abs absolutely every second of it primarily because he shared the uh the inspiration for uh boogie nights with me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you have do you have a favorite do you, work. do you have a favorite PT Anderson movie? Um uh, Boogie Nights probably tops the list. Okay. The oh there the one with Adam Sandler and I can't remember. Oh Punch Drunk Love, yeah. Because that was so out of out of turn for Adam Sandler. Yeah, I mean, he showed he could act in that film. Yes, and it, and, it, I, and it's like it was 
Yeah, I get, in, I get into fights all the time with my wife about this because she loves Adam Sandler, the over-the-top, gross-out comic. I love Adam Sandler, the punch-drunk-love Spanglish actor who can show that he's got some range. Uncut gems, Adam Sandler. Well, I, I, um, Adam Sandler, outside of the, the, those prestige films, has always been a guilty pleasure for me. You want to know why? Why? He... And I, I, I guess we're dealing with millennials when talking in this way. He was the mo- millennial version of Jerry Lewis. Okay. Yeah. And all right. And and that's why. You know, it's but, funny. I I don't I don't hate him. I just don't like his movies. Like, you know, my wife and I get in this debate all the time. I said, you know, that's my boy is just an albatross of cinema, and. But then it's funny, over the years, and I don't know why, I have no clue why, and we'll probably talk about this on a future show because I wouldn't mind getting into guilty pleasure movies, but Grown Ups, the 2010, you know, all-star cast of, of, of his friends, that movie has grown on me over the years to where when it's on TV, I watch it now. And I don't know why because I still don't think it's a good movie, but for whatever reason, it's one of those movies that just kind of like captures my tractor beam. Well, here you go. Adam, 90, 95% of Adam Sandler's movies aren't good movies, but right. they connect yeah. with, with Joe Average. I mean, Mike, right. the water boy yeah. is, I mean, they're catchphrase movies. Now, yeah. Happy Gilmore, not a big fan. No, um, I need my, yeah. Little Mickey is an abomination. There's nothing screaming yes. about that. <laughs> yes. Um, but he he has a way of connecting with his audience. He does. So I'm gonna give I him wish. for that. But you know, there there was a, a point there, and I I don't know the range, but it's like where it was three or four films that were just absolutely Jerry Lewis like. It's yeah. him putting up on on the screen with a bare minimum plot. His his buddies working with him, the wedding singer being one, although that had more of a plot than 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 most of his other stuff. Right. Just him, his buddies, and they're they're pulling an hour gang. Let's go make a movie. Right. And he managed to come up with something that entertains. So I can't hate on him too much. I would just love to see more punch struck love, more uncut gems, Adam Sandler. Um probably not gonna happen, but yeah, that's a very underrated PT Anderson movie. My favorite PT Anderson movie is Magnolia. I just, I mean, it's a, it's a three-hour movie, but I could watch like six hours of it. It was just such an engrossing film. Um, and it's one of those films where there's no action sequences, things like that. It just captures your attention and holds it. Tom Cruise, extremely underrated as TJ Mackey, the uh, motivational speaker, I guess you would call him, uh, for, for men trying to pick up women. Uh, but that was a, a very underrated Tom Cruise acting performance because a lot of a lot of people are, are not Tom Cruise fans because they don't think he can act. Well, they probably haven't seen a movie like Magnolia or Born on the Fourth of July, stuff like that. That's Cruise backlash. Tom Cruise can act just fine. Yes, he can. I All right, know. George. Well, what do you got coming up next week for us? You know, next week. Well, the schedule probably, huh? I saw the card counter today. Okay. That opens next week. And there is something else opening next week that escapes my mind, but I will let you know. But the the, the card counter All is right. well, 
because it's got Oscar Isaac who. Yes, is, love Oscar Isaac. Yeah, and I I yeah, really can't like wait to see more. Of it. It's a return of Paul Schrader to the director's chair. Yeah, so. Paul Schrader directs. Yeah, I forgot about that. So all are, right, George. Well, we definitely appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much for joining us, and I'm sure we'll uh, be talking to you very soon, even as the uh, Browns and Akron Zips gets going. But like everybody, you can follow George at, at by George Thomas on Twitter, and you can read all of his stuff on Akron Beacon Journal uh, at beaconjournal.com, or of course, you can subscribe to the hard copy newspaper. George, we definitely appreciate you stopping by this week. Thank you. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.